This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. When life gets challenging, it can be difficult to stay in problem-solving mode. Instead of focusing on the negative, talking with a therapist can help you stay on higher ground. Visit betterhelp.com super and learn to focus on the positive. Welcome back, everyone, to the true finale of what if Harry Potter had been sorted into Slytherin where the Sorting Hat wanted instead of Gryffindor where he ended up. We have been barreling towards this conclusion for seven weeks now, and it all comes down to this. How has Slytherin House? affected the end of his conflict with Voldemort? What is the significance of Harry being presented with his father's wand? How will he find the diadem if he's never been in the Room of Requirement? What is to be said of Voldemort's silver-clad army? And, of course, how will the Basilisk affect the Battle of Hogwarts? Hey, brother. Today, we answer all of these questions as, finally, we conclude what if Harry was in Slytherin? Welcome to part two, everyone. We have a lot to cover today, so we're just going to dive right on in, right where we left off, which, as a refresher, was just after Ollivander revealed that the wand Harry, Ron, and Hermione recovered from Godric's Hollow was not the Elder Wand, but actually... James Potter's. Harry has never felt more confused in his entire life. They followed the clues right to the Deathly Hallows. They went to Godric's Hollow. They found a wand. A silver doe led them right to it. How... How could it not be the Elder Wand? And suddenly the entire trip to Godric's Hollow was starting to feel like a fiasco. Hermione was right. They put themselves in harm's way for nothing. And now Harry's original wand was broke. And then to make matters worse, Harry is visited by a vision from inside of Voldemort's mind where he has finally identified the thief who stole the wand from Grigorovich. Harry snaps back to reality and falls to the ground with a sudden realization. He's after it too. What's happened, Harry? What did you see? Says Ron. Harry explains to Ron and Hermione what Grindelwald had stolen from Grigorovich. It was the Elder Wand itself. And now, not only did they fail to recover the Elder Wand themselves, but they gave Voldemort the exact information he needed to find it himself. But then who conjured the dough, Harry? Asks Hermione. Someone must have cast it to lead it to your dad's wand. But why? Harry has no answer, and his feelings are extremely mixed. The truth is that just days ago, the idea of being presented with his father's wand, which by all accounts seems to have chosen him and to have been led there by some sort of secret ally, would have been comfort beyond belief. And over the next few days, Harry is plagued by a psych of thoughts about the dough, getting his hopes up over and over that could it have somehow been Dumbledore? But then having all of his hopes drop as he remembers over and over that Dumbledore is dead and his Patronus was a phoenix. And to make matters worse, Harry visits Voldemort's mind two more times. Once to see him question Grindelwald about where the Elder Wand is, and a second time to see him break into Dumbledore's tomb and steal it. However, at the very least, now Harry's path was clear. Dumbledore had not been sending him to collect the Hallows. He was meant to destroy the Horcruxes, and he knows where the next one is. Plus, we don't need the Elder Wand to break into Bellatrix's vault to destroy the Horcrux, because we can just steal the sword back when we're in there, says Ron. And while this is true, Harry can't help but think that when he imagined having the Elder Wand being the master of death, breaking into Gringotts felt laughable, even easy. But now, faced with the same prospect of breaking in but unaided by the Elder Wand, which Voldemort now has, makes the task feel impossible. Now, that said, you may have noticed that their trip to Gringotts is going to be a little bit trickier than usual this time around, because usually they have 
have a hair of Bellatrix and her actual wand, two very useful things for breaking into Bellatrix's vault. Plus, Griphook usually only agrees to help Harry because he watched Harry bury Dobby, which obviously didn't happen this time. So how are they gonna break in? Well, really, it's not that different. The fact that they don't have Bellatrix's wand or hair isn't that big of a deal. In fact, even in the main story, after they go through with that plan, Harry remarks about how foolish it was. The more he thought about it, the more foolish it seemed to have disguised Hermione as Bellatrix, to have brought along Bellatrix's wand when the Death Eaters knew who had stolen it. So instead, they just transfigure Hermione the same way they do as Ron to try and look as similar to someone who might be related to Bellatrix, which really isn't that hard because of the crazy curly hair on both women. And then their plan is just to rely on the imperious curse cast by Harry under the invisibility cloak to force any resistance to just simply believe whatever they're seeing is real. They also have the small advantage that there are no special rules around the Lestrange family vault this time around because Bellatrix doesn't suspect anyone has broken in. Additionally, not looking like Bellatrix means they don't attract the Death Eater Travers into conversation when they arrive at Diagon Alley. Which is not to say they don't see Travers, they still do, and his new silver encrusted eye, which, like Selwyn's, branches out like lightning in every direction from the wound. Griphook also still helps them because, let's face it, he's greedy and he wants the sword, which they do still promise to give him once they break into the vault, which he knows they're telling the truth about because he saw Ron lose it at Malfoy Manor. Plus, Ron saving Griphook from Malfoy Manor also goes a long way in him helping them. That said, as usual, Harry and Ron do still plan on turning on Griphook and keeping the sword for themselves, at least until after the Horcruxes are destroyed, which Hermione doesn't like, but does have to go along with. And so their break into Gringotts, at least getting past the front desk, actually goes a little bit smoother than usual. Hermione asks to go to the Lestrange family vault. Harry imperiouses Bogrod at the front desk, who totally believes that Hermione is a Lestrange. And once they're past the front desk, honestly, we all know their disguises don't matter anyway. Harry immediately takes off the invisibility cloak and the thief's downfall just washes off all of their disguises anyway. After their disguises is gone, it sets off all the same alarms it usually does, which sends all the goblins into a tizzy as they try and pursue Harry, Ron, and Hermione into the depths of Gringotts. But as usual, they are not fast enough, and Harry, Ron, and Hermione make it down to the Lestrange family vault, get inside, and recover the cup and the sword. And as usual, this is where Griphook decides to betray them and steal the sword for himself and try and lock them in one of the vaults. But the difference is, as Griphook runs away with the sword, much like it did to Pettigrew, the sword lights on fire and tries to set Griphook ablaze. But Griphook is faster than Pettigrew and manages to drop it before he's set on fire. And the sound of the sword clanking to the ground amidst all the other confusion alerts the dragon to Griphook's location and he rears back to try and blast him with the sheet of fire. But Hermione sees what's about to happen, and despite Griphook's betrayal, she still sprints forward and tries to stop it, yelling, Asio sword! She catches the sword mid-air and jumps in front of Griphook just before the flames hit him, and much like Ron fighting the fiend fire, manages to absorb all of the dragon fire now into the sword as well. She turns to Griphook, who is now cowering in fear behind her, and says, we're keeping this. The dragon, interestingly, for however blind it is, seems to have taken in what happened, and as Hermione turns back to it, is surprised to find it lowering its head to her. Shocked, she then turns to free Ron and Harry from the vault, after which they free the dragon, climb on its back, and escape through the ceiling to safety. Huzzah! They ride on the dragon's back for a while before finally jumping off into some water next to a small island. But as ever, Harry is visited by another vision of Voldemort, who has been informed of the break-in, and at long last realizes Harry has been hunting Horcruxes. And in an absolute wave of fury, Voldemort's wand drops over and over. Having adopted Draco's new form of punishment, Sectumsempra slashes through the air, cutting up every Death Eater in sight. And then he starts recounting all the locations of his Horcruxes he must now go check. The cave, the shack, 
Hogwarts, Nagini. The cave, the shack, Hogwarts, Nagini. Back on the island with Harry, Ron, and Hermione, Harry bolts up and says, Hogwarts, there's a Horcrux at Hogwarts, I've just seen. But Ron and Hermione are focused on something else, the cup sitting before them. Hermione's still holding the sword and she hands it to Ron for him to destroy it like he did the locket, but Ron looks up incredulously. What? No, I... I think this one has to be you. And so Hermione, with the dragon still soaring overhead, raises the sword, which immediately erupts into flames and lets out an ear-splitting dragon call. She brings the sword down hard on the cup and it is destroyed instantly. Harry and Ron simply stare Ron, as impressed as they've ever been. Harry turns to Ron and says, we're dating, you know. Hermione beams. Yeah, just don't cross him, mate. I thought you were good with dragons. She's got you beat. And from there, they obviously need to make their way to Hogwarts where they can't apparate, so they do the next best thing. Hogsmeade. And of course, we all know how that goes. Caterwauling charm, Death Eaters, Dementors, Patronus, Aberforth, his cat, his goat Tronus. Typical. What's not typical though, is that with Harry and Slytherin, Neville has been far less involved than usual. And as such, he has not formed his little secret base in the Room of Requirement. Which is not to say Neville isn't still a really highly motivated and skilled fighter. He's just not the little leader of the in-school rebellion like he normally is. Which is a problem because Neville and his secret base are usually how Harry, Ron, and Hermione make their way into the castle. But the good news is there is a very obvious and absolutely amazing way to get into the castle that we have not been able to use until now, Dobby. Usually Aberforth is the one who sends Dobby to help Harry, Ron, and Hermione in Malfoy Manor. But since Ron had the Deluminator this time and managed to rescue everyone by himself, that didn't come into play. So Dobby is still alive. And not just alive, but has a good relationship with Aberforth and has the unique magical ability to app inside the walls of Hogwarts. So after Aberforth calls Dobby and offers the solution to the trio, Harry asks him, is that true, Dobby? You can apparate inside the castle? And Dobby replies, of course, sir, I'm an elf. Yes, Dobby, you are. Dobby to the rescue. Not wanting to risk being seen by the Caros or Snape upon entering the castle, though, they have Dobby apparate them into the one section of the castle they are positive will not be under watch, the chamber of secrets. Back inside the castle, y'all. Feels like we need some smoke. Once inside, however, Hermione realizes that the three of them aren't going to be able to search the entire castle by themselves to find something no student in 50 years has found. Certainly, at least not before Voldemort arrives. Speaking of whom, Voldemort has now checked the shack and is sailing across the lake on his way to check on the locket. Hermione looks around and, inspired by the location of their old DA meetings, has an idea. She pulls out the master coin they used to use to set dates for the DA meetings and changes hers to read, call Dobby. And within seconds, Dobby begins hearing his name being called, and with a crack, leaves and returns with Neville, Luna, Ginny. And over the next 10 minutes, the room slowly starts to fill as the house cell flutters around the castle from room to room, bringing people to the chamber. From there, Harry explains they need to find something of Ravenclaw's and find it fast. Voldemort is on his way to the school. The next bit plays out as you might expect. Luna offers up the idea of the lost diadem of Ravenclaw, and she and Harry decide to head up to the Ravenclaw common room to look for it. Of course, they don't find the diadem in the common room, but this is where Harry runs into the Caros and McGonagall. And while Harry doesn't have the exact same relationship that he usually has with McGonagall, telling her that he's working on Dumbledore's order and her absolute faith in Harry is still enough to mobilize her to start setting up defenses around the castle. I've always wanted to use that spell. And it's a good thing too, because Voldemort is on his way. And guys, now we need to take a quick break to give a big thank you to today's sponsor, My Undies. Nope, sorry, Me Undies. Big difference. 
Important distinction, because I wouldn't be out here on the internet talking about any old pair of undies, because me undies doesn't make your basic underwear. They make sustainable undies, bralettes, and socks that are the softest you ever done felt. But if you've never tried them before, that's why I'm here, because they're offering an amazing deal. When you head over to meundies.com slash theories, you can get 20% off your first order, plus free shipping and free returns, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Honestly, this is such an easy sponsor to say yes to, because before they even approached us, I was already using their product. And at this point, I just flat refuse to wear or buy anything else. I've just never had any other undies ever even come close. And your skin will sing songs of joy as if they're sitting on clouds spun from silk. Guaranteed to be the softest stuff you've ever felt in your life. Their signature micromodal fabric is sustainable, breathable, and stretchy as heck. Available in sizes extra small to 4XL. They have new colors and prints dropping weekly, so there's always something exciting to check out. Try their free to join membership for free shipping on every order and exclusive perks like an item shipped to your door every month, secret sales, and early access to their newest stuff. So guys, do yourself a solid, or should I say a soft, and get yourself 20% off your first order, free shipping and returns, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee when you head to meundies.com slash theories. That's meundies.com slash theories. Link is in the description down below. Harry realizes that the castle is going to need as many defenders as possible and has Dobby return him back to the chamber where he's alarmed to find most of the former members of the DA and most of the members of the Order of the Phoenix as well. Turns out while Harry was in Ravenclaw common room, Dobby was busy. Word got around. Impressed, Harry calls the Basilisk and like he did for the DA meetings, has it ferry everyone up to the Great Hall where McGonagall has gathered other students and is preparing for battle. Snape, as usual, does his best to try and reach Harry so that he can tell him the truth about everything and give him the memories, but as usual, is driven from the school before he can do so by the other teachers. Now, normally this is the part where Harry realizes that nobody in living memory has seen the diadem and goes talk to Nearly Headless Nick about the Grey Lady. This time, however, Harry doesn't have any relationship at all with Nearly Headless Nick, and so instead he has to go consult the Bloody Baron. And much to Harry's dismay, the Bloody Baron goes into a very long-winded and overly dramatic story about how he loved the Grey Lady and how he's the one who killed her, and that's why he's carrying these chains. But eventually, like, come on, Baron, it's been like over a thousand years. Get over it. He tells Harry where he can find the Great Lady, who, after some light convincing, reveals that she told Tom Riddle the hiding place of the diadem, and more pieces of the puzzle click into place in Harry's mind. He hid it the night he came back to ask for a job. That's why he came back. He even realizes that Voldemort's arrogance would lead him to believe he was the only student to ever find the Room of Requirement. The only trouble is, Harry himself has never been in the room. But, fortunately, he knows someone who has. Dobby, Harry cries, and the elf appears almost at once. I need you to bring me Draco Malfoy, and then Ron and Hermione. Dobby does so and explains as much of the situation as he's comfortable to Draco, saying we need to enter the room of requirement to find the diadem. Is there a way to make it show a room that hides things? Draco just smiles and immediately summons the room he lived in almost the entire year last year, which of course we all know is filled floor to ceiling with junk. As the four of them and Dobby search the room frantically, Harry asks Draco, about being forced to torture the Death Eaters. Draco looks absolutely ashamed of himself, but explains that he was forced to do it as a form of punishment to himself and decided to try and use the opportunity to incapacitate as many Death Eaters as he could. I'm not sure it worked though. After they paid for their failures, he just healed them with that silver magic. The weird thing is Snape and Wormtail received their hands as rewards. Everyone else has punishment, but in some twisted way, they all wore it like a badge of honor. Proof of their devotion. Proof they never let him down again. 
We'll see. Harry looked at Draco in absolute awe. He really had been doing everything he could to help. He was in the fight just as much as the rest of them and in as much danger, if not more, being right next to Voldemort. And then they see it, the diadem. Harry recognizes it almost immediately, almost as if he can feel the dark magic coming off of it. He turns to Draco to point it out, but that's when he hears it. Nevada Kedavra! Crab and Goyle had followed them into the room. We knew you'd come here, yelled Crab. Here's the thing. Crab and Goyle, obviously not very bright. But by now, even they have heard the story about how Draco used the Room of Requirement to break into Hogwarts last year and help murder Dumbledore. And it turns out when Dobby appeared to whisk Draco away to Harry, Crab and Goyle were right next to him and guessed where they might be headed. Harry whirls around looking for Ron and Hermione, assuming the worst, hoping neither of them has been hit by the spell. Draco does the same, and simultaneously they realize it's not Ron or Hermione who's been hit by the spell, but Dobby who crumples to the ground. At once and together, Harry and Draco raise their wands and shout, Stupefy! Easily blasting Crab and Goyle back. They rush to Dobby's side, but it's too late. He's dead. Dobby, who had done so much, whose freedom had been the first, if not faintest, sign that Draco and Harry were actually on the same side. Draco is in tears as he lays to rest the small elf that once served his family in a clearing made amidst the junk. I think you should do it, says Harry. What? I think you should be the one to destroy it. You found this place. You understood it. I think it should be you. What is it? Asks Draco, holding up the diadem. Harry studies Draco's face for a long time and then makes a decision. It's a piece of his soul. We have to destroy this one and the snake before we can kill Voldemort. Draco's eyes widen, but he doesn't even hesitate. How do I do it? Fiendfire, says Harry. I think the room will be able to contain it. Cast it, and we'll all get out. They move the bodies of Crab, Goyle, and Dobby outside the room, place the diadem on the floor, and Draco casts the spell. Flames erupt out of his wand, torrenting through the stacks of forgotten items, barreling into the diadem. Harry and Draco slam the door shut just in time. The door fades back into the wall. It's done. I also like to think Draco then summoned a new version of the Room of Requirement that had like one single tiny little hammock in it and put Dobby to rest for good. Outside the Room of Requirement, though, the Battle of Hogwarts has begun in earnest. Spells are flying through the windows, suits of armors are running down the halls, and Harry can see giants approaching the outer gates. Now what? Says Ron, sword in hand. Kill the snake, said Harry. Where is it? Asked Hermione. And on command, Harry enters Voldemort's mind and finds him in the Shrieking Shack, Nagini floating in an orb above him, Lucius behind him. Bring me Severus, he tells him. Harry puts on the invisibility cloak, and together, the four of them begin sprinting through the grounds in the direction of the Whomping Willow. As they pass, they observe the raging battle, the silver glare of so many Death Eaters' adornments shining in the moonlight. They watch in horror as a spell bounces off Raoul's shimmering shoulder and hits Lupin in the chest, who falls to the ground, lifeless. Ron spots Luna with a giant bearing down upon her. Him and Hermione veer off to help. Impedimenta! Hermione shouts, stopping the giant's club in midair. Ron rushes in with the blazing sword of Gryffindor and slashes the giant's foot, setting into flame and creating a giant 20-foot pyre in the middle of the battlefield. And in all the commotion, they lose track of where Harry is under the invisibility cloak. Seeing the flames, Harry is immediately reminded of the last time he was sprinting across the grounds like this, chasing Snape. How he had cast Fiendfire at them, how he had escaped, and in his rage, Harry trips and the cloak falls off. And that's when they appear. Dementors. Excited by the sudden appearance of Harry Potter, they begin pouring into the grounds. And suddenly, Harry's rage turns to fear. He reaches for his father's wand, but can't find it. He's dropped it when he fell. His mother's screams begin to fill his ears, when suddenly, out of the darkness, Expecto Patronum! A brilliant white peacock goes streaking in the direction of the Dementors. Draco's Patronus. It starts to drive them away, but there's just too many. The single peacock can't fend them all off. Expecto Patronum. And suddenly the peacock is not alone. It's joined by the silver doe. Harry whips around to see who cast the spell and cannot believe his eyes. Severus 
Snape. And the combined strength of the Doe and Peacock are enough to drive the Dementors away. You! Harry yells as Snape descends on him. You sent the Patronus, but whose wand did you- Yes! Is all Snape is able to get out before the most unusual thing begins happening to him. Snape's silver hand of its own accord grabs his neck, forcing him to the ground choking him. Harry frantically runs over and tries to help, but he can't stop it. Snape locks eyes with Harry and with his free hand manages to draw a memory from his head with the unknown wand. Harry collects it. And with his last breath, Snape forces the wand into Harry's hand and collapses. Dead. And upon grabbing the wand, Harry is filled with the same warm, glowing sensation that he had when his father's wand had presented itself to him in Godric's Hollow. Shock and confusion flood every ounce of Harry's being. Snape? How? But why? When? Harry looks at the glistening memory in his hand, so familiar from all of his lessons with Dumbledore and knows where he has to go. I have to go back to the castle, he shouts, and he, Ron, and Hermione race backwards while Draco stays behind. His father has found him and Snape. And of course, we all know what happens next. Harry goes and watches Snape's memories. He learns that Snape and his mother met as kids, that Snape loved her for almost all of his life, and that he, Harry, is yet another Horcrux that has to be destroyed. Interestingly, this is also the first time Harry sees his father and the Marauders bullying Snape at Hogwarts. When Snape is hoisted into the air by his ankle, he drops all of his books, and unbelievably, Harry stares down and sees his own copy of Advanced Potion Making and realizes with a start that Snape was the Half-Blood Prince. But there are some big changes here as well, memories that aren't in the main story. First, Harry is brought back to the moment where Dumbledore died and realizes Snape did not kill Dumbledore. Protect Draco, Severus, says Dumbledore. He has just accepted my offer to protect and hide his family, but my time has come. Harry watches in shock as Dumbledore dies in Snape's arms, but not at his hand. Reflecting back on how the locket affected Ron and Hermione, Harry realizes that Dumbledore lived in his office with the ring for almost an entire year. That, combined with the potion he drank on the night he died, brought him to the point of death. Then Snape points his wand at the ground and yells, Avada Kedavra! And you guys thought this thumbnail was a lie. No, it was a clue! Then the memory shifts and Harry sees Snape return to the Potter's home in Godric's Hollow, where he collects Lily's wand and leaves the flowers and James' wand buried underneath. He watches as Snape exits Godric's Hollow and passes the statue in the center of town, where he uses Lily's wand to cast an impervious charm on just her. Actually, while we're here, this feels like a good time to pause and say thank you again to everyone who submitted artwork last week of Harry finding the wand in the lilies at the Potter's house with the silver dough. I've been going through them all week. They're all so amazing. Thank you guys so much for sending these in. Like, it brings me such joy to see how you have like brought to life the images in my head, and I just love them so much. Thank you. Thank you all. But back to Snape. The scene changes again, and he's talking to Draco at Malfoy Manor. The Dark Lord rewards his most devoted servants. You would be wise not to cross him, Draco, or his own hand may turn on you. He sees Snape in the headmaster's office and Phineas Nigellus informing him that Harry, Ron, and Hermione are heading to Godric's Hollow. Then he watches as Snape casts the dough to lead Harry to his father's wand. And Harry understood that for Snape, this was meant as justification for taking Lily's wand, an exchange, and that to present Harry with the wand of a man he had hated so much was an act of forgiveness, a true demonstration of the faith he had in Harry, the Slytherin boy who had proven Snape wrong about his father, who had shown him the true nature of a Slytherin, perhaps the kind Snape himself always wanted to be. 
And then Harry arrives back in the headmaster's office, but almost as if on cue, finds himself right back in Voldemort's mind where he's presented with yet another vision of Snape. But this time it's through the eyes of Voldemort who is staring down at the dead body of Snape, which Lucius and Draco have brought him. And he sees with a silver hand around Snape's neck that Snape has betrayed him. Pathetic, he scowls. And yet it is fitting, Severus, and in ways you do not understand. And then the memory exits and Voldemort begins his speech to the entire battle, instructing Harry to find him in the Forbidden Forest or else he, Voldemort, shall enter the fray and strike down every one of Harry's allies. And Harry knows what he has to do. He explains the entire situation to Ron and Hermione, who of course try and talk him out of it, but in their hearts know this is how it has to be. Harry tells Hermione that he loves her and she kisses him farewell. I hope you're not expecting one of those from me, says Ron. And even though the situation is so dire and Ron's joke really isn't that funny, the three of them break into laughter, unsure if their tears are from joy or sadness. I love you too, man, he says to Ron, and they hug. Then Harry takes one last look at his two best friends, dons the invisibility cloak, and turns for the forest. And this walk is as sad as ever as Harry exits the castle and witnesses all of his injured and fallen allies. We already mentioned Lupin, but yes, Fred and Tonks also still die. And as Harry makes his way into the forest, he remembers the snitch and whispers to it, finally, I am about to die. The resurrection stone reveals itself and Harry immediately uses it to summon James, Lily, Sirius, Lupin, and Snape. Yes, Snape. Remember that in this version of the story, Harry's nonstop hatred of Snape across all seven books hasn't really occurred. And that's because Harry has been in Slytherin this entire time and thus their relationship has been significantly more mutual. Not to mention Harry has just witnessed firsthand Snape's ultimate act of forgiveness and sacrifice for Harry's cause. Lily, Lupin, Sirius, and even James all look over at Snape and then back at Harry and smile. As ever, impressed by his endless humility and nobleness. Thank you for the wands, Harry says to Snape, and James nods his head in approval of this gift. And Harry then proceeds to have his usual conversations with the rest, apologizing to Remus, asking Sirius if death is going to hurt, and asking his parents if they'll go with him to the end, which of course, they all do. Until that is, Harry reaches Voldemort in Aragog's lair, where he finally drops the resurrection stone. Fun note, by the way, but because the basilisk is alive, the acromantulas, which usually just sort of flee the forest and run at the school, definitely run in the other direction because, as ever, they are incredibly afraid of the basilisk. Doesn't make a huge difference, although I like to think it means Hagrid got in a few more punches. In fact, in fact, you know what? I'm sure of it. He got in a few more punches. He punched Fenrir Greyback square in the face, the face, which, you know, I guess that probably means that he didn't attack Lavender Brown. There you go. Lavender Brown, not a werewolf or whatever. Whatever happened to Bill? Speaking of Hagrid though, he is also still present for the scene and aghast when he sees Harry entering the clearing. Which brings us back to Harry's imminent death, which goes down very much as you might expect. Voldemort levels the Elder Wand at Harry and shouts, Avada Kedavra, and kills Harry. For like, you know, 
five minutes. And surprisingly, the scene in King's Cross actually isn't that much different at all. Most of that scene is just about Dumbledore coming clean about all of his past, which of course is all the same and happened way before Harry was ever sorted into Slytherin. They talk about Snape and the Deathly Hallows. Harry sees the gross disfigured baby bloody thing on the floor that Voldemort will become in the afterlife. And then Harry decides to come back and he and Voldemort both awaken in the forest, although Harry remains completely still pretending to still be dead. Voldemort, of course, usually sends Narcissa Malfoy to go check whether or not Harry is actually dead. But this time he sends the man who forged his silver army, Draco. Draco checks Harry's pulse, realizes he's alive and announces to the crowd, He's dead. And so the conquering army marches to Hogwarts, moonlight bouncing off their silvery wounds in the trees, Harry in Hagrid's arms as usual. And this next part, I'd like to think if you were reading in a book, the chapter would be called Draco's Army. Voldemort's army arrives at the gates of Hogwarts, Harry's apparently dead body in tow. Everyone stares on in disbelief, unable to take in what they're seeing. Hermione is crying into Ron's shoulder, who's standing next to Luna, their hands clasped. Voldemort announces Harry's death and commands everyone to lay down their arms. Everyone, of course, roars back in opposition, and Voldemort attempts to silence them, but the charm doesn't hold. And Hermione steps forward from the crowd, the sword of Gryffindor on her shoulder. Tears streak down her face, but her voice is calm and steady. You may have killed Harry, but you'll never kill what he stood for and will never back down, she says, raising the sword above her head, lighting it on fire, which also lets out another ear-splitting dragon cry, which seems to raise the morale and spirit of everyone in the army of Hogwarts. Voldemort merely laughs. Do you intend to slay us all with a single sword, mudblood? Draco, give Miss Granger a taste of what happens to those who cross Lord Voldemort. And Voldemort's army laughs as Draco walks forward, their anticipation palpable as they know this lone girl is about to suffer much worse than any of them ever had. That's quite a sword, Granger, says Draco, but I'm not sure it'll be enough to save you. Harry remained frozen in Hagrid's arms, but couldn't believe what he was hearing. Draco had just lied to Voldemort for him. What was he doing? Harry opened his eyelid a fraction of an inch to take in the scene before him. Draco raised his wand and let out a high, loud, hissing whisper. Harry could barely make out what he was saying. It sounded familiar. Sectum Sempra? But no, Hermione remained quiet. She wasn't screaming. And then all of a sudden, Hagrid seemed to be shaking. What was he missing? But then Harry realized it wasn't Hagrid. The ground itself was shaking. Voldemort looked around in confusion, then suddenly realized what Draco had done and what he had said. No, Nagini, kill him! He shouted as the great snake lunged forward towards Draco. Draco turned and saw the snake, fangs out and ready to kill. Nagini lunged, but as she did, the floor beneath her erupted and out rose the giant basilisk whose fangs engulfed Nagini. The snake writhed, but there was no escape. And with one great crunch, Nagini fell in pieces to the floor, dead. By the way, if you guys want one more art prompt, the basilisk emerging to chomp Nagini in half in front of the silver army. I mean, that, um, that be my guest, email it here. Cheers erupted from the defenders of Hogwarts, but only for a moment before Voldemort raised his wand and they were once again silenced. You'd use my own basilisk against me? How is this possible? Only those descended from my great ancestor Salazar Slytherin can speak Basil tongue. 
You're wrong, said Draco. Any true Slytherin can control the Basilisk. That's how Harry Potter beat you five years ago in the Chamber of Secrets when you took me down there to try and kill me. The Basilisk recognized he was a true Slytherin. Fury is visible on Voldemort's face, the thing that had made him so special, so unique, that proved he was descended from the great Salazar Slytherin was not what he had thought. The Basilisk had coiled itself behind Draco and locked its repaired yellow eyes with Voldemort's red ones. I've repressed those memories a long time, but tonight they came back, and I realized when you possessed me, you left memories of how to control snakes. And now this snake is going to finish you off. And the basilisk opened its huge mouth, threatening death with every horrible long fang. Voldemort stood temporarily frozen, his eyes barely slit beneath his anger. And then his wand slashed through the air and there was a flash of green light and his spell connected with the back of the basilisk's throat. And the great snake who had helped Harry defeat Voldemort once before, who had helped him through the Triwizard Tournament, aided Dumbledore's army and destroyed the Peveril Ring, fell with a great crash. Voldemort let out a cold, high laugh, but for the first time, his followers did not follow suit. Instead, they just stood there, unsure, confused by what they'd just seen. Do you see who you follow now? Draco shouted into the crowd. The supposed heir of Slytherin has just destroyed Slytherin's own monster. He sought to kill me, a pureblood. He has had me spill your own blood all year long. You wear those skulls like badges of honor, marks of loyalty. But after what you've just seen, do you really think he would ever repay that loyalty to you? And at these words, a murmur spreads throughout Voldemort's army, followed by a scream. Voldemort turns around to see his nearest Death Eater, Travers, clasping his eye, which is suddenly closed closing in, crushing the rest of his face. Similar screams can be heard throughout the crowd as every Death Eater who felt even a moment of uncertainty at Draco's words are suddenly being attacked by their own silver adornments. Voldemort's army is crumbling. No! Screams Voldemort, who in pure anger turns and fires Septimsepra back at Draco. The spell connects and Draco, standing with his wand still aloft, watches in horror as his arm hits the floor. The army of Hogwarts stares dumbstruck at Draco while Voldemort stares down at his own wand, which has begun glowing. Voldemort feels an unusual sense of warmth rush over him and lets out another high-pitched laugh. And then in unison, the army of Hogwarts lets out their own roar and charges Voldemort's wilting army. Harry finally takes this as his cue to roll out of Hagrid's arms and redon the invisibility cloak. He runs around the battle, stunning as many Death Eaters as he can, but he almost doesn't even need to help. All around him, the enemy is falling, pulled down by their own silver armor or else by the oncoming volley of spells. But not all of them. Harry noticed Bellatrix Lestrange was still fighting unimpeded. Her faith clearly having never wavered from her master. She alone seemed to be battling erratically and skillfully through the throng, spells flying from her in every direction. Harry saw her direct a curse at Mrs. Weasley when suddenly she was blown back by the most powerful shield charm Harry had ever seen. Rubble exploded from a nearby wall as the curse was successfully deflected, and through the debris stepped Neville, wand held high. You tortured my parents, you and like Harry had never seen Neville before, he began dueling Bellatrix, who laughed maniacally and flashed a silver grin back at him. Crucio! bellowed Bellatrix, and Harry watched in horror as the curse connected with Neville. Neville screamed, but somehow miraculously managed to stay on his feet. Bellatrix's guard was down, and although Neville was clearly enduring horrible physical pain, he managed to raise his wand and cast a spell. And as his spell landed, the Cruciata spell seemed to lift from Neville. Bellatrix choked on her own laugh, and then, 
toppled. Cheers erupted from every corner, and now all eyes turned to Voldemort, who was dueling simultaneously Ron, Hermione, and Luna. Don't touch them! shouted Harry as he finally revealed himself, and the other three retreated into the crowd. And more cheers erupt at the sight of Harry alive, who tells everyone to stand down. Now it's just him and Voldemort. It's over, Tom. You've corrupted your own army, and now you stand surrounded by enemies. There are no more Horcruxes, and there can be no escape. You've lost. Voldemort laughs in response. But perhaps you do not understand, Potter. There can be no power greater than I. I, the most powerful wizard in the world, have just become master of this wand. Dumbledore's wand. The Elder Wand. You're wrong. And if you try to kill me again, you won't just fail to kill me like you did earlier tonight. But it'll be the last thing you ever do. What is this? You think you can defeat me? That somehow you are more magically powerful? That you have a wand more powerful than mine? I do. In fact, I think it is you who do not understand, Tom. You are not the master of that wand. Oh, but I am, Potter. Much has happened on this night. Although you are right, even I believe perhaps I was not the master of the Elder Wand because I had not killed the man who killed its previous master, Dumbledore. And who do you think killed Dumbledore? Shot back Harry with the air of someone who absolutely knows the truth. Severus Snape. I see how foolish it was now to entrust him with that hand. But see how fate favors Lord Voldemort. I sought to kill Snape this very evening, but discovered his betrayal, much like the fools around me had already finished him off. You're right about one thing. Severus Snape did betray you, but not tonight. He's been working against you ever since you tried to kill my mother, and he never killed Dumbledore. I watched his memories tonight. He faked the entire thing. Dumbledore died of his own accord after drinking the potion you made in that cave. But then I did kill the previous Master Potter. Yeah, you did kill Dumbledore, but someone else claimed mastery of the wand first, and on your orders. As usual, like you did with your followers tonight, you are your own worst enemy. Before Dumbledore died, he was was disarmed by Draco Malfoy. Well, I must thank you, Potter. That really does clear things up. Draco disarmed Dumbledore, you say. Well, I'm not sure if you've been paying attention, but I have just disarmed him in return. Somewhere in the crowd, George Weasley yells, Boo! What you may have missed in all the confusion, Potter, is that after I attacked Draco, this wand glowed in my hand, the same way my first one did all those years ago in Ollivander's. The Elder Wand has chosen me. You still don't get it, do you? You continue to make the same mistake over and over because you can't understand the true power of love. And Harry could feel the moment approaching as he gripped his father's wand tighter, keeping it aimed at Voldemort. My mother beat you 17 years ago. She beat you by sacrificing herself for me. She didn't need to die, but she chose to anyway. And yet here I stand before you, Potter. Where is your mother now? I've seen her. Tonight, actually. She's whole and happy and proud of her son. And I've seen you, too. What you become in death. You're foul. You're disgusting. You can't even move. You dare! Yes, I dare. When you brought yourself back to life, you took my blood. And in doing so, you brought my mother's protection into your body. She's with you wherever you go. Your filthy mother is dead. Yes, but she's beaten you. Think, when did that wand choose you? When you attacked Draco? Draco, who had just stood up against you to protect everyone from you? Voldemort stared back, anger on his face, taking in every single word. The wand chooses the wizard, Tom. Or in this case, the witch. That wand didn't choose you. 
It chose my mother, whose protection lives in you. Voldemort looked stunned, but recovered quickly. But it makes no difference then, Potter. Your mother is not here. Even if you are right, then we duel on skill alone. Actually, she's more here than you think. Before he died tonight, Severus Snape gave me this wand. My mother's wand, which he recovered from my house because he loved her. And it chose me. And if the Elder Wand chose my mother, and her wand chose me, then I... I'm the master of the Elder Wand. And then, with both his parents' wands leveled at the enemy, Harry shouted his spell at the exact same time as Voldemort. Expelliarmus! Cadavra! And Voldemort's spell backfired into himself. The Elder Wand sailed through the air, and Harry caught it. Voldemort fell backwards. Dead. Epilogue! But Dad, why do I have to take the train when you could just use flu powder? Oh, come on now, son. I once had to hunt down five unknowable dark treasures and destroy them and sacrifice myself to destroy the darkest wizard alive. I think you can handle a little train ride. Besides, it's all part of the experience. I met your mother and my best friend on my first train ride to Hogwarts, you know. I'm not your best friend, chimed in Hermione. Of course you are, dear, said Harry. I was just telling Albus here about the first time we met. Did I hear you right? I'm not your best friend, said Ron, arriving behind them at platform nine and three quarters with Luna. Of course you are, dear, said Harry. And they all laughed. How is Akilah feeling about heading off for her first year, Hermione asked Ron. Oh, I think she's excited. Really, it's little Leo here who's been the trouble. He's so eager to go himself. Same with Lily here, said Harry, motioning to his youngest child and only daughter. Yes, Harry still has three kids and they have the same names. I think he would name his kids the same way. Obviously, though, they are different people since they have a different mom. Draco was also, as usual, present at the platform, although admittedly still armless and helping his young son onto the train. And I thought for a while about who Draco might be married to at this point. In the main story, it's a woman named Astoria Greengrass, who's a completely off-screen character. And it occurred to me that Ginny might be a viable option here since she and Draco were both possessed by Voldemort back in Chamber of Secrets. And Draco has like such a more dramatic reform, like over to the good side. But I'd love to hear what you guys think. Who would Draco end up with in this version of the story? Make sure you don't give this one any special treatment, eh, Potter? Says Draco. Of course not, Harry replies, unless... How is he on a broom? Harry jokes. But it's in that moment that Harry noticed his middle son, Albus, who's about to board the train for his first year, is sitting alone quietly, staring at the train. Nervous, Harry asks. What if I'm not in Slytherin like you and James? He asks. Oh, son, it doesn't matter what house you're in. I'd be proud of you even if you ended up in Gryffindor. At these words, Hermione swings her bag to clunk Harry on the head. In fact, Harry lowers his voice to a whisper. I want you to come to my office when you have a break period later this week. I have a gift for you. Really? What is it? Oh, I think you'll find it very useful. I gave your brother your grandfather's wand, but what I have for you has been in our family much, much longer, Harry said mysteriously. But seriously, son, I know I'm your dad and head of Slytherin House, and it might be a little awkward that I'm the one teaching your friends defense against the dark arts, but I'll be proud no matter what house you're in. In fact, the Sorting Hat even considered putting me in Gryffindor. Really? You? Really. But that is a different story. The end. Oh my gosh, you guys, that was seriously a wild ride. It's probably the hardest I've ever worked on any project ever for Super Carlin Brothers. So thank you so much for watching. I really hope you liked our uh, take on this of what if Harry was in Slytherin. This has seriously been a labor of love for the past two months. So just thank you again for watching. It really means so much to me.
And if you're new to the channel, if you just found us from the What If Harry Is in Slytherin series, I hope you'll uh, leave this video a like and consider subscribing as well. That would be awesome. And if you wanna see another big seven part series we did about Harry Potter, I totally recommend you check out this video right here, Dumbledore's Big Plan and how Dumbledore was pulling the strings on Harry Potter's life throughout uh, all of his years at Hogwarts. It is an equally crazy adventure. But otherwise, Ben, until next time, I will see you in another life, brother.